Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, broadcasting from Birmingham, Alabama, and thanks to the internet, we get to talk Crimson Tide worldwide. So no matter where you're listening from, we're glad you've tuned in because we're getting geared up for what's going down in T-Town the next couple of Saturdays. So the plan over that span is to make sure we skin both sets of cats that are coming up on the calendar. Now, neither one of these teams is going to do much for our strength of schedule ranking, but they can both help boost our TV ratings since they'll be able to sit back and watch us kick off our perennial postseason participation from the cozy comfort of their recliner, sipping hot apple cider and singing along with I'll Be Home for Christmas 8 tracks. But first things first, so we'll try to blow off the beatdown we want to see in the Iron Bowl till the proper time. So in the meantime, I'm going to Carolina in my mind. Western Carolina, that is, which is somewhere in North Carolina. Now, the school's located in a town called Kaloe, and the team's mascot's called a catamount. Now, a catamount is supposed to be some kind of wild mountain cat, which could be a bobcat or a polecat or a lynx. I think a cougar would have a better chance of scoring Saturday, but the nickname won out in a contest to name the team back in 1933 over the other option, which was Mountain Boomers. Yeah, really. Western Carolina is one of only two universities in the U.S. with this mascot, the other being the University of Vermont, whom I thought were called Fighting Syrup Buckets. But hey, you know you learn a lot doing this show. One of their traditions is that they play Appalachian State every year in the battle for the Old Mountain Jug. Word is these people live so far out in the country, they have to drive back toward town to hunt. So you got to figure they're going to be all fired up about getting cleaned up and cruising into Tuscaloosa to take on the tide. And I know these felines are looking forward to this fracas, but they'll be forced to face the fact that there are going to be a lot of sutures in their futures. Talk about cat scratch fever. The picture I'm drawing is that they're going to be on the wrong side of the clawing. I mean, the Crimson Tide versus the Catamounts is tatamount to a title fight between Muhammad Ali and Sayre Lee. But this thing won't last long because they'll go down in an early round, so their trip to the Druid City won't be pretty. And even though I know these mountain ladies are music lovers, they're going to hear Yeah, Alabama so many times, by the end of the day, they'll all just say, That makes me cry, Paul. About the only thing the cats can even think about winning might be the picking and grinning. That is, if they can get the darlings to drive down to T-Town, and that's not going to happen. So there won't be a hoedown during this halftime show, but we've been known to pick a song or two. And I mess around with a little music myself, which makes me wonder if these mountain men might be thinking about tinkering with the idea of blending a little bluegrass with some hillbilly hip-hop. Maybe call it Foggy Mountain Breakdance. But I digress. Before we get to our guest, I want to say we all know it's really easy to take teams like Western Carolina lightly. They're not a big name, and it probably won't be a close game. But what Coach Stallings used to say about these things still rings true. If you don't think it's a big game, just go lose it. Like we've said many times, it's the biggest game on the schedule because it's the next one. Every Bama game is a big game because Bama's playing in it. We have an incredible stadium with 101,000 seats and there's still a waiting list for season tickets. It's Alabama. It's special. And the only time there ought to be an empty seat in Bryant-Denny's if James Spann, the weatherman, just told us to get out and seek out shelter. The young men that run out of that tunnel go through an awful lot to earn the privilege of putting on that jersey. They go through a conditioning regimen that most of us can't even comprehend. They lift weights. They go to team meetings, position meetings, study hall. They spend time in the training room getting treatment and going through rehab for all kinds of injuries, and they're full-time students on top of that. We've had over 20 players dress out for the last two national championship games that had already earned their undergraduate degree, and some of them are working on master's degree before they even complete their athletic eligibility. That's amazing. 
They're under immense pressure to perform and conform to a process that demands an immense amount of devotion and dedication. These players deserve to see every seat filled for every game. If you have tickets and you can't go, make sure you get them to somebody that can so our guys can see every Bama man's behind them. Because remember, at some places, they just play football. At Alabama, we live it. And I'm all fired up about the fact that some of the guys that used to run out of that tunnel were able to stop by today and hang a while. We got Brian Selman and Lee Tiffin in the house today, and uh, it's great to have you guys with us. How you doing? Doing great. Good to be here. Very good. Good to be here. Super, super, man. We'll start with Brian here. Man, what you got going on these days? What are you involved in? Currently working for the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball organization. I'm a uh, area scout in the Mid-Atlantic area, so living in D.C., uh, typically I kind of equate it to a regional sales kind of responsibility where I have a territory part of the country, and I'm uh, responsible for all amateur coverage in the area. So high school, college, junior college, baseball players, it's my job to scout and evaluate and get to know them on a personal level in preparation for the amateur draft each June. Oh, that's cool, man. How did you manage to – what sort of networking got you into that? Well, I did a, a good job, I would say, as a um, coming after our junior year going into our last season of just really trying to solicit the Alabama network, both in the uh, offices and talking to Coach and talking to Phil Savage and talking to whoever I could that might have anybody's contact information at all. I mean, I sat down with Phil Savage one afternoon and he ran through his cell phone with me. And I mean, he's like, oh, here's Ozzie Newsom's number. Here's so and so, you know. So just really. Uh, getting after it and soliciting those guys for anybody that might have a lead. Um, you know, did the whole thing where you send out cover letters and resumes. And I uh, was very blessed, very blessed to have an opportunity come my way shortly after the championship game with the Pirates, uh, an internship role. I mean, we played the game on the on the 7th, I think, and I was headed to spring training on February 26th. So it was, oh, that's great. It was a pretty quick turnaround, and I've been very blessed to be a part of uh, the Pirates and us moving forward in the direction we're going and, and trying to take steps forward each year. And it's it's been, um, and Lee can attest to this, it's been something I've said I wanted to do for a long time and to be able to be doing it is uh, very cool. Very oh, cool. man, that's great to hear. It's super. It's uh, it's great to know and, and, and uh, that being an Alabama football player can, can help you when, you when you get through playing. No doubt. That's certainly the case. Lee Tiffin, what you got going on these days? Well, nothing that exciting. I can uh, – <laughs> I can remember Brian always talking about wanting to be a, a GM of a Major League Baseball team at some point, and I think he's well on his way now. I am actually in grad school at UAB. Um, I'll finish my master's in health administration in May. Um, took a job. I'm going to be working at a hospital in West Virginia, so I'll be heading up there in May to start work and uh, hopefully embark on something that's maybe close to as fun as what Brian's doing. There you go. That yeah. sounds great, man. Okay, you know, Who'd you, grow, who'd you guys grow up pulling for, and how'd you wind up signing with Alabama? Well, I grew up an Alabama guy all the way. There was never any question. My father's an Alabama grad and um, really grew up underneath him, uh, rooting for Alabama, going to different games. I think, you know, I always took a lot of pride, as even in high school, as the Crimson Tradition video had a couple clips of games I was at, whether it be uh, the 93 or 94 Georgia game where – uh, Jay Barker leads us back, and we beat Eric Zire in Georgia. Or 90, 94, I 90, was there. 96 uh, Iron Bowl where yep. Freddie Kitchens throws a swing pass to Dennis Riddle. I was there with my dad for all of those things. So I was always an Alabama guy. Um, in terms of signing with Alabama, it's um, I wouldn't really describe it as signing with Alabama. I, was, I don't think either of us did much signing, do we? No, <laughs> I, I didn't sign a lot of things. Um I got to the point where I, I was going to Alabama one way or the, uh, or the other as a student um, and kind of 
had big dreams of walking on potentially yeah. kind of a long yeah. shot opportunity. Yeah. So, um, a couple of guys with, um, my high school team had signed division one scholarships. So that spring, uh, of my senior year of high school, I spent the whole spring working with them, training with them and snapping with them. Uh, that summer continued that process. And then basically the Thursday before school started, I think the Thursday prior to middle Tennessee state that year, there was an open walk on tryout for special teams players. Um, I went out and uh, had a good, good couple days, and they needed a third snapper, mostly for depth purposes, I would say. Yeah. And had a good couple days, and they kept me. And so all of a sudden, this dream's starting to become a reality, and I'm trying to transfer from being a, a Bama fan to being a part of the team and, mm-hmm. and make the transfer from that. And then somehow that story ends up uh, in the Rose Bowl five years later. But it's a lot of divine intervention involved yeah. and, and hard work that uh, ultimately – reap some benefits i like the way you put that man and you played under a a pretty solid in a pretty solid program in high school buddy anderson's been over at vestavia hills for a long time and he's got a really really solid program lee i i know you had some coaching at least at home now i think you played at muscle shoals high school is that correct okay so so at least you had a little help around around the supper table as far as technique and kicking and all that absolutely yeah my story is probably a little different not too much though um Played at Muscle Shoals High School, had a really good senior year, and my high school coach was actually Curly Hallman. I don't oh know if you remember goodness. that name, but yeah. he was the head coach at LSU, and then prior to that, Southern Miss, Coach Brett Favre down there. and So he was well acquainted with uh, the college game and knew all the guys, and I guess this would have been about September of my senior year. He calls me into his office, and I'm, like I said, off to a good start. He says, you know, I think you need to you need to kick in college, obviously. Um and I think you need to call Mike Shula and tell him you're coming down there. So he calls Mike Shula, and, you know, I had been recruited by Alabama. They wanted me to walk on there, and other schools were interested as well. He said, you know, I don't think you need to even consider it. You need to just go to Alabama. You're a legacy player. It'll be a fantastic place for you to enjoy a good career. So I called Coach Shula. He was happy to hear the news, and um, that's kind of how my career got started at Alabama, of course, showed up the following fall um, as a walk-on in camp and then jamie goes down with an injury next thing you know it's kind of like the joey jones story you were talking about you're you're playing yeah yeah uh, it's pretty shocking yeah yeah you you know obviously when you get to college the guys are bigger and faster especially at an elite level program what was the hardest thing about making the transition from high school ball to playing in the sec at bama i think the speed of the speed and size of the game i mean it took um, you know, I wasn't really a contributor on the field until my third year there, so that would have been my redshirt sophomore season, Lee's true sophomore season. And even then I felt uh, as a player on the field somewhat overmatched or overwhelmed at different times. I think um, there's a, certainly a progression that you have to go through um, physically to prepare yourself to be able to go through the season and then also with the speed of the game so that you feel comfortable in being able to go out and execute and do what you're responsible to be doing but the biggest thing after that point to take your game to the next step is certainly in my mind a mentality thing Mm -hmm. where you have to train yourself to be able to block everything out and take out all the variables because in what we did everything that we did in the weeks prior to was what we exactly what we were going to see on Saturday there were very few variables that were going to change or alter how we did our job so being able to train yourself from a mental toughness standpoint and to be able to really do that, that's what allowed us to become significant, to go from role players to significant contributors. Yeah, I mean, as a kicker, you know, you really play against yourself in a lot of ways. It's like golf. Yeah. You know, you're not so worried about what the guy across the line's doing, obviously. 
I do think there's an element of speed in the game and the operation with your snapper and holder that changes significantly. You know, it's just a much faster, smoother operation. So in that regard, it's probably better. Um, and then there are some some minute details that I don't think the average fan would necessarily pick up on, but the ball's different. You know, I was just going to say, you know, we were just hearing just the last day or so about a manager getting fired at Southern Cal because they were deflating the ball somewhat that makes them softer. And I was just thinking, you know, with most high schools don't have the budget to have 30 or 40 brand new footballs every year, you're dealing with a softer ball. You get to college and those puppies are blown up tight. Yeah, they're tight. They're brand new. They just don't go as far, really. So that's why you'll see a guy in high school who may be a 99% touchback kicker like I was and Cade was and pretty much everybody was. And you get to the college game and you lose 10 yards. And oh. you're going, whoa, where'd that, where'd that go? Well, it's, you're using a brand new football. Yeah, you know, it's a, and it's a small thing, but it winds up manifesting itself as a pretty large issue because we all know the difference between a touchback and somebody running it back to the 35-yard line. Absolutely. Oh, man. What's the, what was the hardest thing and what was the best thing about being on the team? The hardest thing about being on the team? I think um, – the expectations that came with it and the accountability that came with it was very um, demanding. I don't know if it was particularly hard, but you knew that it was big in terms of how you had to act both on and off the field. Your own and, all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as well as your responsibility and accountability to, to everyone else. But at the same time, that became part of like the greatest thing about it because you're accountable to all these other men that, you know, You've trained with. We did everything they did fourth quarter, mm-hmm. everything they did in the summer. And, it, you know, as a group of specialists, we never wanted to be like, oh, there go the specialists. You know, we, we were right. racing up there with them. In terms of the total points scored at the end of the summer um, testing periods, we were always towards the top. And so the, the expectations and the accountability was tremendous. Yeah. But at the same time, it was something that we really uh, embraced and, and allowed us to be um, bigger portions of the team than your average. Oh, he's just the kicker. He's yeah. Just, so, you know. so you're not sitting over there at practice, sitting on your helmet. Yeah, you know, that's it. It, it. it allowed us right. to have an impact with the other <laughs> players, so that to the point where you know, if Lee or PJ or I had something that we needed to say, we could go to Rolando and be like, "Hey, let's start doing this." We could go to Mike Johnson, Javier Arenas. They listened because they respected us. So, the expectations were were, were big, but. For us to be what we became, we had to embrace that. That's a healthy culture. It wasn't Coke, Steve. It was Gatorade. Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, I I prefer really not to give them any more credit than I have to, you know, that Florida thing. Anyway, what about you? The Yeah, for me, the hardest part, I think it's similar to what Brian's saying. You know, as an 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old, I think I was 17 when I showed up. But anyway, um, getting used to having that much attention everywhere you go especially at a place like alabama it's a rabid football culture people recognize you and i'm just i don't like that attention i just wanted to play football and so whether it was good or bad attention either way that was something that i had to get used to Um, you know you go to class and the first day of class the guy's getting the roster out and call and roll and he says your name and everybody in the classroom turns around to look at you you know 200 people yep that's something that uh is a little bit awkward when you're 18, 19 Yeah, especially years old. if you owe some of them money or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that sort of thing is a lifestyle adjustment, but I think you're young enough that you take it in stride and you get used to it. Hey, you know, we don't get to know the guys on the team like you guys do. We don't – we watch it. Everybody watches it real close, and you pay a lot of attention to it, but we see helmets and jerseys. We don't get to know – 
too much the people other than that handful of guys that do the interviews and they're not going to get into the personal stuff you know i've seen the deal where robbie zell was doing coach saban's impersonation and it was spot on too and hilarious you know what are some of the guys on the team that keep the locker room loose and keep you going the funny guys the crazy guys I think everybody on the team had a had a role that had kind of defined itself by the time we even got to the season with their you know we spend a, a tremendous amount of time together over the course of a year from I mean basically you're talking about we're in Tuscaloosa and we're doing something together every day of the year almost except for probably the last 3 weeks of May. So you're down there, you're taking classes, you're doing mental toughness training, you're lifting, you're doing all the running. And it's, you know, a group of guys, regardless of backgrounds, can come together underneath all that adversity. Yes. And and that's what we did. And so in terms of like how the locker room was, everybody kind of had their role and, and have, had their part <clears throat> to play. And it kind of, it, it was, it was very cohesive. It glued, it went very easy. I will say this to Brian's point though. The evolution throughout our career that I saw was that, you know, by the time we got to 09, it was such a cohesive unit. You had no bad apples. There was no one that didn't get along. You know, earlier in our career, I don't know you could say that. I would say it was a more fractured locker room, just less of a camaraderie there. And that's, to me, a big piece of what a good team's about. You know, you don't have troublemakers. You don't have guys that cause a lot of dissension within the team. It's just everybody gets along and enjoys hanging out. It's all like they're all partners with no passengers. I think we got to the point where Saban came in and and brought, I think, the biggest difference from from a non-football X's and O's perspective between Coach Saban and Coach Shula. Saban brought in this huge what I would describe is infrastructure mm-hmm. in terms of yes. developing us in, in all phases. And it got to the point where, and it's, it's where it's at now. If you don't want to buy in, because buying in means we're going to win and we're going to play at a championship level. If you don't want to buy in, you're probably on the way out pretty quickly, regardless of talent level. And it got to the point where in 08, the two biggest components of buying into that were Rashad Johnson and Antoine Caldwell yeah. and John Parker Wilson, who ended up being the three captains that year. When those guys really bought into it and were going to run with it and just go and say, look, this is the pace we're going to go at, follow me, everybody was like, oh, wow, I mean, hey, step in line, and this works. And so like, we started seeing a little more success, and everybody started buying into it. Everybody became a little more open-minded to every component of it. And then 09 – it was just matter of fact. That was just the daily business. You yeah. know, uh, you guys came in uh, uh, toward the end of the Shula era, and I certainly appreciate everything he did for us. He came in in a in a really tough spot. But what you just said reminded me of when we we turned on the TV. You know, we went through '07 where you could tell things were changing, you, and you could tell there was there was growth, and yet there was there were things that just didn't quite click. But we turn on the TV against that game in Clemson and the Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta, the first game of 2008, and I mean beat them like a rented mule. Mm -hmm. You could, you know, even your average fan could see the difference in the cohesion and the physical domination. I mean, they never threatened to win that game. No. Uh, you know, you, he, Coach Saban runs such a demanding program, especially when it comes to strength and conditioning. I mean, you know, Scott Comp- Cochran has become a media star. You know, uh, he might be the most famous strength and conditioning yeah. coach in the country. <laughs> Does anybody work any harder than you guys did? And and can you really see and feel as the players that have gone through that late in games that the difference it makes? It starts with the tone at the top. You know, the team totally develops the attitude of its leader, Nick Saban. And I think the, the the one thing that the attribute he does not get enough credit for is how intelligent he is. 
I think he's a very smart man. People don't necessarily analyze that part of his psyche. But, you know, he, like Brian said, he had a plan, a structure for every element, whether it was player development, recruiting, uh, game day, down to what you eat. Would not compromise on the food we ate during pregame. You know, all these minute details that some people might think are irrelevant. It all counts. He, he knew what they meant. He knew what they were about. And those powdered eggs weren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were not. You know, you guys were uh, snapping the ball, place kicking. Every time you touch the ball, there's pressure to perform. What are the things that get you to the point where you can do that job so well uh, at an incredibly high level of excellence and consistency? And consistency is one of Saban's words that's that's his mantra yeah. where what do you do in practice to get to that point that maybe sets you apart just that least little bit from everybody else i remember in 07 thinking uh, and, and part of in one of my first couple games to start you know holding the ball and hearing the pa announcer say my name brian selman to snap and i'm thinking oh god I'm holding the ball. Everybody's waiting on me to go. I remember <laughs> thinking that as a first-year starter. It's usually not a good sign. And either. it wasn't. And it wasn't. And so the the snaps were less consistent. Um, I had to rely on PJ to bail me out a lot more often than he should have. I think the biggest transformation that I experienced as a player was going from 07 to 08, where I took on the mentality that it wasn't going to be about my success anymore because ultimately I'm not on the field to have good snaps. We're not going to put points on the board as a result of good snaps, but – taking the accountability of being responsible to put those guys in a good position to perform at a high level and succeed, knowing that if P.J. can catch the ball in the same spot every time, his consistency punting is much improved. And if P.J. can get the ball down as early as possible and Lee can actually see the ball before he takes that last plant step, that's going to help him tremendously. And we all kind of did that and bought into each other instead of worrying about personal success. Not that we were selfish players from the start, but we just didn't know, and we didn't know we didn't know. Yeah, I mean, so when we bought into each other, you, I mean, that you see that you can go back and look at the box scores. It translates. When you're inexperienced, the fear and the no the uncertainty is just so overwhelming. I don't think it's selfishness. I think you're just worried about doing your job right. Yeah. And then when you take that focus off yourself and your own performance, you start thinking, hey, there's teammates who need me to perform at a high level here. I owe it to them to That's do it. this right. That's when you come to another level. You know, Lee, a lot of people don't know or remember you wound up being our all-time leading scorer. I think 350 points, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. You're only actually and the only second Alabama kicker ever to have two 50-plus yarders in a single game at a 54-yarder in that Clemson game we just talked about a minute ago. A lot of those kicks and a lot of those snaps helped put Bama back in the national spotlight. What was it like to not only have a great uh, individual career for both of you, but also you guys contributed to one of the great eras in Alabama football history, and it's and it's still going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For me, I couldn't have done it without Brian and PJ, and I, I sincerely mean that. I think you don't get enough um, – the operation, what we call the battery, the three of us, doesn't get enough credit for how important it is and how just, you know, really how fortunate I was to come through – basically my three main years playing at the capstone with the same snapper and holder. I think that's a huge piece to success as a college athlete because you can be really talented, but you may just not have the right pieces in place to get to execute it. And so that was huge for me. I think, you know, being able to do that, I mean, for, I think I I was able to start over 40 something games and every single snap that I had, those two guys were a part of, except for maybe 
one or two in a, in a late game situation where getting other guys reps. But to be able to do that and to have that rapport as we continue to develop, not only as players on the field, but as men off the field and grew closer in both aspects, that was a very cool thing. And then for us to be able to um, be a part of this era and really be a part of the uh, genesis of this area, mm-hmm. era, excuse me, and to start really paving the way in terms of how it needed to be done to be able to be that championship caliber Alabama team, I think we really bought into that and wanted to contribute in much more than just the specialist area in terms of impacting leadership on our team, impacting everything we could from a specialist area and hoping that that bled into um, other areas of the team. And it was was very cool. I mean, I remember by the time that we got to our senior year, we just – as a as a group of three specialists, we had as much confidence as you possibly could. I remember giving Greg a hard time saying, "If you just get to the thirty five, we're probably putting points on the board." Yeah, and and that's and that's what they did. Ole Miss. Yeah, you know we we kicked them into submission. Yeah, Virginia I, I Tech, would, all of it. I would agree. It was awesome to be part of that genesis. And to me, if you honestly, if you gave me the option, you said, "Hey, you could be let's say Carson Tinker's era, and and you could play." Uh, during a time when you might win three out of four national championships versus the time we played in, I'd take our time every single opportunity because I think we got to see some stuff that is so personally beneficial from a leadership standpoint. You get to see, and again, no offense to Coach Hula, but you get to see a program that's not necessarily run at the highest level, and then you get to see a turnaround. With, I mean, it was like a leadership training school what Nick Saban did there. Every bit of it was it was a, a case study in personal and uh, yeah. human development. And and his, like you mentioned earlier, his attention to detail goes so much further than X's and O's and why you have to jam him on the inside and release. It goes down to, hey, this is a guy we really can't yell at because he's not going to respond to that. Or this guy, we may have to get after him sometimes. You know, he, right. he has all that down to a T, and that's what allows him to have as much impact and effectiveness as he has. You know, one of the stories I heard about Coach Saban, oh, it's been maybe a year ago, because uh, I've always, I'm one of those geeks that follows recruiting, and uh, I know I have no life. Uh, but they were telling a story about a kid, I think he was from Florida. They're recruiting him. Uh, he's going to make a visit. Well, it turns out the kid's got a food allergy. He gets to Tuscaloosa, Coach Saban hands he and his parents a printout of the nutrition plan they've got that's designed to take into account his food allergies. Yeah, that's I mean it's impressive. all encompassing, no doubt about it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's this absolute obsession with detail. And as a parent, you know, I'm I gotta think you're going. You know, maybe this is where we should send Junior. Right. You know. Oh, no doubt. Goodness gracious! No doubt. Tell us about playing under Coach Saban and some of the things you know, people don't know about him. Things we haven't even talked about yet. Man, where do you start, Brian? I don't know. I, I think, like we said, I mean, every every time we got to be around him or be, you know, see what he was doing, if you were able to take a step back and look at the big picture perspective and try and evaluate how he was going about it, it was so interesting. And just from a developmental standpoint, and like we've talked about with all the details, I mean, I, I personally, I loved playing for him. Yeah. I, I've played for a lot of really – uh, outstanding coaches growing up. I played for Sammy Dunn, baseball at Vestavia, Buddy Anderson, football at Vestavia, and Coach Saban. And and Coach Saban is all his thing is he demands excellence. And if you can give that to him, and and give effort every day and be consistent, then he's going to respect you tremendously. And and it's a situation where if we walked into Tuscaloosa right now, Lee and I could go sit down and catch up with him. He might be busy, but we could still go do that. I, I don't think he gets as much credit. 
yeah. for being as personable as he is portrayed in the media, partly because I don't think he really likes to do the media and they pick at him to... He's a busy man. Right. No doubt. No doubt. And, and that's his thing is attention to detail and being able to be uh, productive at all times of the day. But he, I mean, he called the pirates on my behalf. Wow. He went to yeah. bat for me. He's he's made multiple phone calls for me. Oh, he's helped me and, out several times. And and I just I just have the utmost respect for him. Playing for him, I mean, it's completely changed my life and had a huge impact on my life to the point where, as a player, we got so locked into the mental toughness of everything that it, it bled into yeah, other areas of our life. You know, my sister's <laughs> having a hard day. I'm telling her to be more mentally tough. My yeah, girlfriend's up. Uh, no, you 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 hear yourself talk and you feel like I'm, I sound like Dick Saban. I, yeah, I tell my wife like. You're too focused on external factors that's right it. now. You that's need it. To, I'm, 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 I'm sitting there thinking about it. you guys sound just like him. Yeah. It, it becomes a part of your DNA. I think when you're going through that at such a formative age and you're around somebody that's such an excellent leader, no it just gets baked into your DNA, it, how you approach it. It, it can become somewhat of a – Alabama football itself can become somewhat of a vortex that you kind of get sucked into. First, from a um, – you know, you're sitting there thinking about everything that you have to do to be successful on Saturday. Yep. So if your sister or girlfriend's having a rough day and, you know, she's trying to come to you for support and you're telling her to be more mentally tough, I don't know if that's the best way to really handle right. that at the time. And, you know, so everybody has to learn how to handle that on their own. And it comes with perspective and time and being around it, too. But it's uh, it certainly becomes who you are. And that's why when you look at interviews from, you know, 08 to now – it's almost regurgitated saving commentary. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, most people think of football players with their IQ being like their jersey number. Right, You right. know, and you guys are sitting here using terms like vortex and, and this kind of thing. And I'm Fortunately, thinking, I had the highest jersey number on the <laughs> yeah, team. 99 over there. Yeah, but it was still just two <laughs> yeah, digits, bud. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I'm thinking people all over the globe right now are going, these are football players? Uh, anyway, analytical football. Players. Analytical football. We were yeah. we were of the twenty that played in the championship game that were holding degrees. We were certainly two of them. Well, okay, we've you know we've talked a lot about kind of the more serious parts of it, the uh, the, the more formal parts of it. G- give me a quick version of something that that was funny or was was a great memory. It's kind of some kind of story that none of us have ever heard. I think one of the ones that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I was texting Lee a couple weeks ago during Tennessee week, I think Tennessee week and the rivalry and all the passion that it brings out of our players is always extremely inspiring to me because you see people all over social media and they're fired up. As soon as the clock hits zero on the game before, guess what? It's fall week. And one of my favorite memories from being a part of that rivalry, not only, you know, four and one against Tennessee and all that, but I've got two stories that I'll share. One of them, we're playing in the 09 game against Tennessee. We're they're they're lining up to kick the field goal that, you know, somehow they just hit the tight end over the middle. They're staring down the face of a field goal that's going to beat us. And I'm typically when the offense or when the defense was on the field, I'd go to the opposite end of the field just to get away from it and take a knee. And Lee ended up with me over there at this point in time and I'm looking down and I've chewed all my fingernails off and I'm sitting there just freaking out. Don't know what's going to happen. Lee comes up to me just as casual as I'll get out. You all right, man? No, I'm not all right. They're about to kick the field goal to win. What? What are you talking about? Nick Saban's sitting over here. He's got two timeouts. This guy's already missed one, and he's got one blocked. This guy's got no shot. I'm like, God, I love your confidence. I sure hope you're right. I have been there. I mean, I know the mentality. That guy was fighting right at that moment. Next thing we know, we hear kick, 
bam, blocked. Lee just slaps and backhands me as hard as he can on the chest and goes, I told you, and runs out on the field. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Yeah, That's, yeah. I mean, that was – there There are a million. I, I probably couldn't pull. Give us a quick one. Just one. Um, I'd have to think about it. You know, something that always cracks me up, though, is thinking about uh, that practice story with – this just kind of shows you what, what it's like to spend every day with a bunch of guys. We were out at practice one day, and <laughs> probably, what, third, fourth-string snapper guy yeah. named Trey Chester is out there. And we had these PVC pipe football holders <laughs> that we would use <laughs> to hold a football to kick it, you know? And we're over here, you know, it's 20 minutes till practice is over, and everybody's sort of knocking off a little bit. And this dude picks this thing up and starts blowing it. And it sounds like a bullhorn going off on the field. And everybody looks over there. <laughs> and we're like, what are you doing, man? Come on, get it together. But, you know, it's just little stuff like that that you remember that sticks out in your mind. It's, and uh, I think that's just part of hanging out with a, with a group of guys all the time for four years. Oh, that's great. Hey, listen, you know, uh, we're running out of time, but uh... – I do want to ask you, after after all you guys did and all you endured, after all the work and all the winning, what did it feel like to hand in that helmet for the last time? You know, it, it was a it was a reward for years of hard work and sacrifice that went into it. And to be able to do it walking off the field at the Rose Bowl was a surreal experience. Not, and, and it wasn't something that I could even really put into words. And to what be a beautiful able, setting. I mean, just the setting, the atmosphere. In pregame, I, I, I shook hands with Keith Jackson. I mean, wow. come on, that's cool. I, that's you know, way I cool. I didn't have the guts to ask him for a whoa, Nelly, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was surreal. Being a part of that. Rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. First championship in 20 years and setting the tone for where the program's going to be at now and kissing the crystal ball and knowing that we had rings coming our way and walking off the field, you know, it, on top yeah the biggest thing I, the cool the, the biggest thing i did was when i walked off the field for the last time just turned around and looked took one deep breath just to take it in because that atmosphere was unbelievable not only did our fans just being there and being outstanding but everything that went into it it was a surreal experience and for me to try and put it in into words and tell you what it meant to me i don't think i can it, it it changed my life, the course of my life. And to be able to share it with that group of men that we had spent just a tremendous amount of time training for. And, uh, you know, we had set our sights on that since the SEC championship game in the previous season. That's what we were going to do. There was no doubt. There was no, hey, we might do that. We could do this. No, we're going. Let's go. And to be able to do that and execute it, it was yep, very cool. It was special. Rarely do you accomplish something, you know, truly significant in your life like that. And that was for me. If you got a hand in the helmet, that's the time to do it. Man, that's great. I I can't thank you guys enough. You know, we we're just about out of time, and we could we could go for another hour on all this. Had a ball doing it, done a super job, and really appreciate you taking time and making the effort to come by. Before we take a knee and hand the ball back to the ref, though, I just got to say. Uh, that talking about Western Carolina makes me think about North Carolina, and that makes me think about Mayberry and how sad it was for a lot of us to lose Andy Griffith earlier this year. Uh, it's a sentiment I'm sure we share with a lot of the Western supporters that will be visiting this weekend. You know, Mayberry may have been just a sitcom, but it lived in a space that always wound up offering an affirming, compassionate embrace. We've had our fun today, cutting up and cracking jokes, but I hope our guests will have a great time in T-Town because nothing could be finer than the folks from Carolina to say we might have lost the game, but there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Let's fight it out on the field and gather at the tailgate table of grace. We want to remind you to tell your friends that they can find us in the podcast section of iTunes. We're on Stitcher now. 
And Bama Talk is just one of several shows on the menu at BigBrainsMedia.com. Be sure and bump that subscribe button, which makes saving and storing every show easy and automatic. Remember now, with shopping season right around the corner, these downloads are free. So if you're like me and you'd rather be lined up and handed a blindfold and a cigarette than try to make your way through the mosh pit at the mall, just send your friends a heads up about how to hook up with Bama Talk, and we'll take them on a roll tide ride through the holidays and beyond. They may think you're cheap, and they'd be right, but you can send them a souvenir from the bowl game with the money you saved. Well, it's time to head for the locker room, so we're going to zoom on out of here. We hope you had a good time listening in. And don't forget, you can access any of our Bama Talk Show episodes anytime you're so inclined. Let's put on a show this Saturday, and it'll be time to start talking about taking care of some serious Iron Bowl business. And by the way, it's great to be from Alabama. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.